Welcome to the High Reliability Podcast, presented by Gosselin Martin Associates. I'm your host, Peter Martin, president of Gosselin Martin Associates. The High Reliability Podcast is focused solely on the healthcare facility management professional, and it is sponsored by The Career Hub. The Career Hub is powered by Gosselin Martin Associates, so if you haven't checked it out yet, please do so off of our main website. Today, we are excited to welcome Thomas Elliott to the High Reliability Podcast. Tom is the Director of Facilities Management at the Sutter Medical Center in Sacramento, California. Tom has been working at Sutter for five years. He began there as a CBRE employee in 2016, and then he transitioned to a hospital employee in 2017, again, still staying at Sutter Medical Center. Tom is an Air Force veteran with experience in healthcare technology management and healthcare facilities management. He's got a track record of success in managing medical facilities, properties, and assets. Tom transitioned out of the military in July of 2016, and he started in August 2016 with CBRE at Sutter. So Tom did not have a lot of downtime between the military and civilian life. In the military, Tom began his healthcare journey as a biomedical technician before finding his way into facilities management. And that is a path that we see replicated uh, pretty frequently from biomed into facilities management. We'll talk about that a little bit with Tom. Tom was stationed in the Azores, Portugal, and Japan before ending his service on Guam. Tom has his BS in religion. He has an MBA in project management, and he is an MHA candidate in healthcare administration. In addition to all this, Tom has family. So Tom, you're a busy man. Welcome and thank you for uh, joining the podcast. Thanks, Pete. It's good to be here. Excellent. Well, I appreciate uh, appreciate the time. You know, Tom, you and I were talking briefly, briefly um, before we started this and I said to you, I don't often see um, for the degree at the bachelor's level, a degree in religion, healthcare facilities management. I can probably count them on one hand and you may be the only one. Tell me, um, tell me about that path, Tom, and how did you go from religion then into military into facilities management? It seems like an interesting career track that you took. Well, uh, <laughs> it's funny, Pete. It's, you know, as I was saying um, before we started, it's not exact. it wasn't exactly a, um, it wasn't exactly on purpose, really. <laughs> it was more of, um, I won't say on accident either. I don't know that there's such a thing. Uh, but where it's, you know, when I, after I graduated high school, I decided, you know, just didn't know what I wanted to do, but I wanted to serve in some capacity at some, at some point. So um, I couldn't figure out what to do, uh, had to move away from home. So, uh, so I went to Bible college, spent some time, spent about three years there, um, met the girl who would become my wife. Um, we knew each other, we knew each other for about, um, three months before I decided she was going to be the one I would marry. Wow. And, uh, we were married a few months later and then, um, and then honeymoon baby came along, couldn't afford, um, school anymore. Uh, so, uh, left school, traveled a bit, trying to f find our way, uh, until, you know, and then, uh, at some, let's see, it was, uh, I think our first year we were married, we moved five times, um, wow. to, uh, three different States. And, uh, after, a you know, we ended up in Missouri after a couple of years, we, we ended we had, uh, two kids. And, um, not a whole lot of money. I was working two jobs and, um, also come from a military family. So I figured it was my turn, uh, joined the air force and they actually signed me up for guaranteed Intel. Um, I have no idea what that job would have entailed because, well, they couldn't tell me, but they, <laughs> <laughs> so they, but they, um, but as, but as the things happen by the, at the end of basic training, I went in and, um, they stuck me in a little room and said, well, you, your job's no longer, you don't have any room for you in the school unless you want to sit around, um, sweeping, uh, floors for three months. As I said, I already was married with 
two kids. So they said here, um, or you can pick another job. And so, uh, I didn't really want to be away from my family any longer than I had to be. So, um, they said, well, we really recommend this job and pointed out, um, biomedical equipment. So I went ahead and put that as my first choice. Uh, next thing you know, I'm on a bus to Shepard Air Force Base in Texas um, and uh, for tech school, which was um, about 11 months long. My family, because it was so long, my family was able to come down and join me. And uh, and so that's how I ended up in from uh, and back. And at that point, I was just a college dropout. And so, uh, you know, but I figured I wanted to finish my degree, finish my degree. And so, uh, when I was, my first duty station was Japan and, and yeah, so they, uh, you know, taking full advantage of the military tuition assistance benefits. Uh, I went to f- finish what I started since I was so far in already You're and, right. um, still wasn't sure what I wanted to do, um, long-term as far as a career. Uh, and so went through that, went through a few years as, um, as biomed, um, and then got a taste of, uh, facilities management said, okay, this is what I want to do for a while. Uh, then I went for my M and I said, well, a bachelor's in religion probably won't help me much there. So I went, that's when I went for my MBA in um, project management. <laughs> and so, uh, kind of laid out the course from there. Yeah. That's very interesting. I never, uh, I never knew all that. <laughs> very interesting. Let me ask Tom. You said, um, you know, I'm going back to kind of your evolution prior to you joining the Air Force. You move. You were in three states, and did you say five months or five years? I always write notes down, but then I can't. Did you five years? Oh. Five months, correct? So, uh, yeah. Well, we were married in January of 2001, and. Um, Moved. Oh, and I was in, we were in college and I was in still in college in Florida. And, um, as I said, my, my wife was pregnant with her firstborn. Um, and, and they're like, well, can't afford, can't afford to do this anymore. So, um, met some people, the value of networking, met some people and they said, Hey, why don't you just, um, come up and try radio for a little while. And so went up to North Carolina, um, Spent a cu- spent about a month doing that and said, "Okay, what well, type, this was what fun." Type of radio. Um, it was actually a Christian radio station based in um, North Carolina. Uh, I was there, I guess, a couple. I was there two or three weeks, I guess. Um, they had a, uh, I don't know, they they still do these telethon kind of things um, mm-hmm. for fundraising, and I got to a little bit of experience there, but um, but really couldn't. Uh, but then um, I let then I let my let my in laws talk me into moving up to Pennsylvania, where my wife's from, uh, <laughs> and spent about three anybody months there. Anybody who's married can probably relate a similar story. Maybe not the same, but probably something yeah. similar, right? <laughs> yeah, spent yeah, but we spent about three months. Yeah, we spent spent about three months there. Um, I started out with uh, at a greenskeeping at a because uh, I was a ground I was doing groundskeeping. Um, during co- when I to pay my way through college, and so I went found a job as a greenskeeper at a really nice golf course in Central PA. Then, um, then in order to make a little more, because well, we were expecting a baby, uh, mm-hmm. went to uh, work for Hershey Hershey Resorts um, as a groundskeeper, and then um, so that and about three after about three months um, for various reasons. Uh, I said, okay, done with this, packed up my, um, I think she was, let's see, six months pregnant at that point, seven months. Um, at that point, packed up the, um, packed it, my wife up and everything we owned on into our little Mitsumishi Mirage, uh, <laughs> packed on top. That uh, would have going to work when the baby comes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, we made it work for a while. You would have, you would have, you would have, you would have laughed coming up from Florida. Cause I, you know, we, we didn't have any money, but her, for her first birthday, we were together. I built her a bench. I worked, um, at the time, uh, one of my jobs would say, um, at a, 
and I don't know what this is pertinent to, but, um, but yeah, her job, <laughs> but I worked at a irrigation supply store and we had all these pallets and all these two by fours that you wrap, um, you know, 20 foot sticks of, of PVC in. Right. And, um, and so I built her a bench, you know, finished it. I, as I said, I didn't have a whole lot of money. So I did it all with a, with a $2 hammer and a, um, and a keyhole, a keyhole saw and, um, <laughs> finished that up. Well, she wouldn't let me leave it behind at that point. So <laughs> imagine a two, imagine yeah. a two, you know, a little, like a two door Mitsubishi with a soft carrier on top. Now with it didn't have the back doors, so you had nowhere to clip the back parts of the, the strap for the soft carrier. So I had a lug, uh, a ratcheting loading strap from frame to frame around the top of it from side to side. And then I put the bench on top of that and ran another strap from the front to the back. Now imagine doing that driving down a 95 through DC. Um, we must've been quite a sight. I would like to clamp it. I, I, you know, if I would have, if I would have put her on top, it would have been hilarious. And uh, she would have just <laughs> sat up there in a rocking chair. It's a been like granny. Uh, <laughs> so, you ever watch the uh, ever watch the the first vacation Chevy Chase vacation? Oh, when long time ago. The grandmother dies. And they're heading out to Wally World, and they put her on the top of their uh, station wagon. Oh, that's a, been so uh, long. In a uh, in a rocking chair, and that's where they transfer <laughs> transport her. That that was the visual yeah. that came to mind when you described that. That's right. But what's interesting, um, but probably more interesting than that is so. Um, the day I decided to pack up my pack, uh, pack up and leave Pennsylvania was nine 11, 2001. Wow. And, um, and are you on we the were, when that happens when nine 11, we, we were, we were driving. In fact, it's interesting. Everybody remembers where they were that day. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. but we were driving on the, t- the Pennsylvania turnpike westward, of course, cause we were headed to Missouri where my grandparents lived. And we were on the turnpike and we stopped over at one of the rest area rest stops there on the side of the road, um, which, uh, which, which was um, right. There's one right at Somerset, Pennsylvania. So we stopped in, we pulled in and I remember distinctly highway patrolman just flying past me and like, okay, I was like, mm-hmm. wow, they're, they're in a hurry to go somewhere. Yeah. And so I, um, so I pull off. And I call my my grandpa on my on the pay phone because you know that's what we did back then, uh, yep. a couple quarters, right? Yeah. And he's like, or call well, collect. That's what I used to that's do. Right. Uh, I'll collect them. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So I eat. call. <laughs> yep. Maybe I did call collect. I don't remember that part. I don't remember, but I remember calling him, and he's like, "Well, you better hurry." Um, he said, "He said planes are falling out of the sky over there." And I'm like, and I look up, and at that time I look up to the TV, and the plane had just crashed there in Somerset, uh, right where we, you know, in the area we were. So my, my wife came out. I said, "All right, get in. We got to go. Uh, we got to keep. We got to move." <laughs> so wow. we we pressed on. But yeah, that was um, that was my nine eleven story. We happened to be traveling. Um, so. So yeah, uh, I want to say I was counting it the other day. I don't remember what I counted, but my wife and I, since we've been, my wife and I have been married about 20 years now, a little over 20 years now. And I think we've, I think we've moved into, I think 14 different houses since we've been married, 12, 12 different houses or something like that. Um, a few different countries, a few different States. Been, it's been quite fun. Yeah. How are? How does? How, like you know, obviously you have four children now. I do. Yes. Um, so how do you? How does that? Uh, you know, the moving and and all. Well, you were in the military, but how does that? How does your family enjoy it? Are, are they used to it, or are they happy to be in one location in Sacramento? Is, is it nice to stay fit? What, 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 what's the thoughts on that? <laughs> well, you know, you, you ought to do some research sometime on military brats. Um, because the thing, you know, well, they didn't, cause they were young. My, uh, when I joined my oldest was, uh, I think about three at the time. <laughs> and so really they, they didn't, they never knew anything different. Right. And I was an, 
and my dad was in the Navy, so I didn't really know anything different. Uh, so you can, so after every two or three years, as I think most military folks or kids that grew up in the military could attest to every two or three years, you start feeling antsy. It's like, okay, hmm. I got to, you know, there's, you know, where to next? I got, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's yep. you know, you get, you get um, conditioned for that. Yeah. That's all you've known, right? Yeah. And your, your wife enjoys it. You know, yeah, she did. She, it took, um, it took me two and a half years to talk her into letting me join the military. And then it took me about 13 years to get her to, um, to talk her into letting me get out. <laughs> so, so yeah, once she got a taste, once she got a taste for travel, seeing the world, um, it's, uh, yeah, she really came to enjoy it. Oh, well, you, you married well, and I guess she married well too. <laughs> you know, that, that's good. <laughs> you know, that doesn't often happen or always happen, I should say. She was very, to- yeah. she's very tolerant. Yes. Well, that's a good word. Tolerant. <laughs> well, let's, uh, wow, very interesting. Um, Let's transition though, and and this is kind of similar along those those that career vein. I think you and I probably first met at the ASHI conference in 2015 at the uh, regional breakfast, and you were still in the military. Uh, you were stationed at Guam. You were still in uniform. We struck up a conversation, um, and at the time, you were talking about you know trans- transferring out of transitioning out of the military um, within the next couple of years. Now, you know, we're, what, six years later, you're a director of facilities, you were able to kind of achieve the direction you wanted to go. Tell us about that transition from the military into healthcare, and I guess that's a pretty broad statement, but what is that like, and what's your thought process, and how difficult is it transitioning out of, into the, from the, into that public sector. What, what are some of the issues that surround transitioning out of the military into healthcare? You've obviously done it well um, and successfully, but what are some of the things or considerations or obstacles? Tell us about that if you don't mind. Well, you know, that's interesting. I, I keep it, I, I can, I always try to keep in my mind that I, I feel very blessed because I, you know, it's um, again, like most of the events in my life, very little of it was on purpose by me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I, I got the, you know, I, when I finally decided that I wanted to do this, I, I got the, M- I went for my MBA, which, um, which was really important by the way for this and, um, you know, for this transition. Um, but when I decided to transition out, um, we did something that, uh, I don't know, I, what I did. So when, when I was leaving the air force, one of the things that I, I wanted to make sure that I wouldn't do was chicken out, um, for, mm. you know, for lack of a, uh, a better way to say that. And so when I you say chicken it, out, Tom, do you mean chicken out from leaving the air force? Correct. Like correct. staying you know, rather than going. Yeah. Because you know, that's really, you know, the, t- the toughest part of change is taking that first step toward change. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's a lot of, there's a lot of uncertainty in it. There's, uh, a lot of unknowns. And for us, it was, there were a lot of unknowns. Um, and so decided that this was the path that I wanted to take. And my wife agreed to it. Um, what at, she was just glad I had a direction at that point. So, <laughs> but, um, cause up until then I was like, Oh, maybe I can do this. Maybe I can do that. You know, maybe I can yeah. pursue an acting career. I don't know. Um, I'm just kidding. Uh, but, <laughs> You know, hey, you're it, in radio. You could do acting. <laughs> yeah, I was in radio for three weeks, um, Pete. I don't think that would. I don't think that qualifies. <laughs> uh, no, it's like a, yeah, it's like you have a I have a face for radio. Um, but the uh, but when I left, because the, the thing is, it's it's what you know, and the easiest thing would, for me to do would have been to stay in, uh, keep, um, you know, test for continue to test for rank. Um, but so what I what I did was that last year I declined testing. I don't necessarily re- recommend this track for others, and um, especially you know, as I said, my wife is extremely tolerant um, <laughs> and trusting. So um, I declined testing, which basically means that um, I would not be eligible to reenlist. So I had wow. to get out. Wow! Um, once my enlistment was up, I had no other choices um, at that point. So I locked it in, burned that bridge, essentially. 
Hmm. Yeah. And when I got out, I, um, if you, if you remember our conversations, I had no prospects. Um, I didn't have a state. So, uh, I, I do remember all that. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> now I, so know I had my, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I had my, so I had them drop my wife off in Virginia with her, with some of her family where she could hang out there. I had them dump me off in Colorado. Uh, the ASHI conference was in Denver and where normally I would go through the, all the booths, all the vendor booths that, you know, looking at what would be great for my facility or what could help us out. It was going booth to booth. Hey, are you hiring? Hey, are you hiring? <laughs> Here's a resume. Um, and, um, and it was actually through a, and then after a week of that, um, had one lead, um, for a hospital up in Washington state. And, um, then I, my, my dad, my dad is here in, um, in Northern California. So, uh, in Sacramento area. So I figured I would just base my search out of there and we were ready. Of course, we we're willing to move to any state, any country. I, you know, I just needed a job homeless and unemployed that when you have <laughs> a wife and four kids, yeah, big motivator right there, big, big that's motivator. Um, and I, you know, we didn't worry. I, everything always yeah. works out. Uh, but, um, and so, you know, and I remember I was looking for jobs and I remember I got a call from, um, uh, somebody, and this is the, again, the, the, the importance of networking, um, got a call from, uh, I think you may, I don't know if, I don't know if you know Charles Clay, um, got a call and, and I'd worked with him before in my previous life. And he gave me a call and said, Hey Tom, you got to, um, you're going to get a call tomorrow for, and you, um, you need to apply for this position right now. And I said, well, what position is that? I said, he said, well, Sutter Medical Center, Sacramento, so I think works out here. And so I, I Googled it, of course. I, I looked at while he's on the phone. I'm like, Charlie, I, I don't qualify for this. You know, my last facility was 86,000 square foot non-acute. Um, I've worked in acute settings before as a biomed, but he says, oh, no, you'll be fine. You know, he's ever the optimist. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and yes, says, oh, you'll be fine. You're, you're qualified. Just, just, um, you, you know, I put in a good word. You'll be fine. And so, um, sure enough. So I said, okay, um, whatever you say, sir. <laughs> so I put in the application the next day I get a call and the, the hiring managers, like said, um, and this, it was from CBRE and he said, said, um, so, uh, so tell me. Why should we hire you other than the fact that Charlie tells me you should? You should. Mm-hmm. And, start off. and I don't, and, and, you know, disclosure, I don't think he knew Charlie from before, you know, um, Charlie was also, you know, was, I guess, looking at some other, was looking at a position there too. They had several positions open that they were working on. And, um, and so, yeah, we went through, he looked at my stuff, um, he said, well, um, let's do, let's do a face-to-face interview. Uh, and so the interview process, we did it because of timing. We did it all in one day. Um, it was eight hours. It took me eight hours, a full eight hours, um, to get through, um, all of them. I, I don't know that it's seldom have I been that worn out at the end of anything. Yeah. Uh, that's a lot of work. You're talking for eight hours selling well yeah well uh, for the most part yeah so the first you know it was a couple it was about an hour with um the hiring manager and his uh, hiring manager and his boss and then um and then i got to then it was a um panel interview with the group of engineers and staff there at, at sutter medical center um and then with the administrator and then they gave me a tour of the of the campus and, um, and so, so yeah, it was, um, it was an, it was definitely an interesting, um, an di- interesting chain of events. Uh, I don't, you know, for, I think a lot of it, you asked about the, how difficult the transition. I don't know that I was thinking about the difficulties a whole lot because, yeah. you know, all I, because again, it was that it was find a job or be homeless on unemployed. Um, right. and if it was just me, that's perfect. You know, I'd probably be okay with that. I could go back to yep. delivering pizza. Um, yep. you know, 
but you know, when you have those responsibilities on your shoulder and, um, and you've got a family to think about and all of those things, um, sure. you know, you, yeah, no. you don't have a lot of, you just don't have a lot of time to think about that stuff. And, and as I said, I'm, you know, um, I'm very, was very blessed to have made the connections that I made through the years. Um, and to have a group of people that believed in me, um, <laughs> even yeah. when I did, I mean, I, I probably, if it had just been up to me, I probably would not have applied for this position. Um, mm -hmm. just because I would have looked at it and said, yeah, there's just no way. Right. Right. How big is, is how big is your facility, Tom? So all in, um, just a variety of occupancies. Um, it's about, uh, 1.5 million square feet. Huh. Yeah. Uh, that means 523 licensed beds. Yeah, so I mean, you went from yeah, yeah that, they certainly would think okay, the the odds are stacked against. But you're right. So I mean, once you have, yeah. you know, once you have kids, it's no longer about you. I mean, you can do anything if it's just you. Um, but once <laughs> yeah. you have those other responsibilities, you can't do just yeah. anything. <laughs> well, it's interesting. It was a kind of a tough go too because um, I was. It had been a difficult period here for various reasons with CBRE, I was the sixth director in five years. And, and I was so, going to ask you, are you going to tell, I was going to ask you to tell that story because it's very interesting and it's even more interesting in light of you coming in um, to a 1.5 million square foot history with the, with the background you've just described. Can you tell that story a little bit? Well, well, sure. It's just, it's more of a continuation, I suppose. Um, you know, it's, they came in and I, I came in and they said, yeah, um, you'll be number six. And we had some, and it's situ and it was really situational. I mean, we've, uh, some of the, especially some of the directors that they had here were, um, uh, were amazing, uh, facility, you know, great reputation and facilities, but, um, but I, th but you know how, it's like a, it's like a movie, you know, you, you ever watch a movie that where the, um, actors just didn't have the chemistry and it just didn't work out. Yep. Um, yep. for one reason or another, um, or difficulties, um, just coalescing. Um, and I think that's, uh, I think that probably, ha you know, I think that's probably a lot. Um, had a lot to do with it. Um, there were uh, one, there was, um, you know, an accident involved in one of them so that it was um, so no fault of anybody's in that instance. And the team really liked him. Um, but, you know, it's just situation, right? It's um, things happen and you have to kind of roll with the punches and, and um, the engineering and the plan ops team there at, at center medical center really had a lot of punches to roll through. Um, along with that in 2015, they were, it was essentially a merger. They, they shut down one of the old hospitals and combined the two hospitals into one campus to a consolidated campus, which, um, is, as you know, is difficult always because there's, you know, even though they're in the same organization, there's still different hospitals within an organization still have different cultures. Right. And, um, and again, putting all that together make, makes for, can make a, um, for very difficult situation for all involved. And did, um, how did you come in or what approach did you, because what approach did you take to settle that situation and to, you know, you've been there five years now, right? And they have, that yeah. department has some stability that they didn't have in the previous five. What was your approach, especially you're coming and you, you've got to be, you know, you're, you're confident and obviously your stick-to-itiveness in so many things um, is apparent, but you're coming into a new role, 1.5 million square feet, a, a department that's been in, you know, not turmoil, but at least <laughs> chaos and change. What's your approach in that, uh, in that situation? Well, I, I came in with a, with a benefit that I think, um, that helped me. And that benefit was, I didn't know anything. Um, <laughs> and that can help. So, <laughs> well, no, absolutely. Because if you, yeah. if you come, you come in with the assumption to know, knowing that, or th with a thought that you don't know anything, um, you know, it, it can change your approach. Right. Uh, you know, I think one of the, when it comes to change management, I think one of the 
struggles, I, I think where a lot of a lot of times people come into struggles is that um, you know, well, in, especially in the engineering field, we come into us any situation where we see a problem. Our job is to fix broken things, right? To fix problems. And so the first thing that, um, and I've seen this play, play, play over and over again, uh, where first thing they, somebody does, they come into a situation like this. And the first thing they want to do is change everything, right? Because they have an idea of what can make it work. Um, well, I had no, since I had very little prior art to work with, I had a great support group. Um, my boss at the time, um, Glenn Zilligan, um, he was amazing. Uh, I had, uh, you know, I had him to lean on. In fact, he had to promise that he would stick around to support me in order to get them to hire me, I guess, is what I found out later on. Uh, <laughs> cause because of my lack of experience, you know, they, they, you know, so basically they hired us as a, a team. Uh, so they didn't so much hire me at the time. And, um, and so a lot of it was watch and see. Uh, a lot of it was, okay, guys, I don't, you know, clearly I don't have a lot of experience. What about this? And bounce it off the team um, and say, and get their feedback. Experiment, try some things. <laughs> you know, it was a lot of trial and error. Um, but, but the underlying, but the one thing that we had, um, but so that was, so that first, but the, I think the biggest thing was, for the first year was just listening, you know, the, right. When I first came in, they had the, you know, finding out, Hey, what are, what's the, what were the engineers' concerns? Um, they said, well, safety was a big concern. So the first year I was there, we, we spent most of our time just focusing on the safety program, um, training, uh, equipment, you know, we spared no expense, had the full support of my administration, um, at the hospital. We just, you know, new fall protection, um, arc flash, all of that um, brought in. And, you know, like all teams, we're pretty sure, uh, you know, we have uh, just just enough to not get, not get everything done. So we do our very best okay. and um, they do it anyway, uh, yep. <laughs> you know, because they're amazing. And so, you know, they go through and we focus on that um, in 2017 really focus on the safety. Uh, we also had joint commission. We were prepping for joint commission, of course. Um, and um, got a good grasp, got a better grasp on that. Um, always a work in progress, right? Um, safety, safety isn't something you can do and then walk away from. Uh, and then um, in 2018, at the beginning of 2018, I sat down and with my uh, managers and like, okay, what, you know, let's, what are we going to focus? Let's for 2018, what's going to be our focus? Cause, um, Steve jobs, um, uh, said when he came back to Apple, it said focus is about saying no, right. It's not about, it's not about, not about, um, paying attention to what all the different things that you can do. It's about saying no to all those things you can do and doing the, the one thing that you have to really do. And, <laughs> and so, um, in 2018, I, started asking the question of myself, first of all, you always have to start with yourself. Um, and then asking of the rest of the team, because uh, there was, you know, there was, as always, you know, there's always a, you know, well, there's not enough funding for this. There's not enough yeah. uh, personnel for staffing for that. It's like, well, what can we do? What, what within our, and what within our power, what within my, and I said, make it personal, what within what can I do within my power, my ability to provide a world-class outstanding and safe patient experience? And just throughout the year, kept asking that question. And there would be a question on, okay, how do we, you know, what, what are, you know, we'd like to do this. Well, okay, that's great. Let's, let's look at that idea. What does that have? So how does that affect the patient experience? Do we have the ability to do that? you know, first of all, within my power, that's the first thing is what can I do within my control? Otherwise, if I can't control it, if I don't, you know, then there's nothing I can do about it. Then it doesn't just leads to frustration. So, uh, so staying focused, just stay focused on patient safety, patient experience, um, and, uh, and realigned on that. 
and uh, basically, and that's and that's kind of served as a foundation for uh, for our reorganize. You know, when I went through and we reorganized the um, the uh, department, um, uh, we have quite a bit. We had quite a bit of flexibility there. I was given a lot of flexibility, uh, so reorganized the department um, uh, into. Uh, when I first started here, we had a manager, one lead and all the engineers, uh, broke it down into funk. Uh, we added a few leads, um, to cut, to kind of cover the functions, uh, to help with span of control and to, and to give the engineers maybe more, I guess, to more access and more flexibility to what they can control as far as providing that outstanding patient experience. Um, I mean, that's first and foremost, you have to trust, you know, build your team, then trust your team. And, um, and so, uh, and just, and for the rest of it, the change management was a matter of just making the changes as a team. Mm -hmm. You're um, so from, Coming in to 2016, and then you know the steps took 2016, 2017. Now you're reorging the department in 2018. It seems to me that you were able to build a good deal of credibility amongst both the department, but probably more as importantly, senior leadership in just really a short period of time. Was that the case? And and if so, was there a was there a tipping point where they were like, you know what, this guy, he's got it. You know, um, I think you'll have to ask my team and my bosses about that one. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know sure, if I'm the right sure. person. I'm not sure. Um, they don't tell, you know, uh, whenever it's in their control, they don't seem to tell me no a, a whole lot. So maybe that's yeah. a, uh, <laughs> so maybe that's I, I, a good indicator. Um, sometimes actions, uh, sometimes actions are the answer. <laughs> what they allow you to do or not to do, um, can be the answer. Well, yeah, no, but that's well with, that's with all the terms, with well, with with all the turnover, with the you know, with all the turnover in department leadership, um, you know, it's difficult to build rapport with leadership, right? Yeah. Um, when when you're not there, when you don't have that that time, it takes time to build yeah. credibility. I think I told you my my team had a um, had a pull out on me that I that I wouldn't last four months, <laughs> yeah. and yeah, um, when I first when I first started. Um, and uh, so they, they all lost a while ago, um, but <laughs> so I, I, and they're probably happy they lost. <laughs> well, it depends on which one you ask. Maybe I don't know. Yeah. Um, or, the day. <laughs> or the day. That's right. Um, because it's I think it's important to remember that regardless, every single one of us, um, each one, every one of my even every one of the engineers on the POM team at SMCS, every one of the leaders at SMCS, um, at Sutter Medical Center, Sacramento, um, and myself, maybe more than any of them, um, is human. And, you know, I, it's, you know, we're human beings and the one thing that human history has taught us and maybe my, my, and this is maybe where my degree in religion has, what my degree in religion has taught me that we're all human and prone to error, right? Life is a, life is a practice. And sometimes, uh, sometimes those errors, um, you know, I think it's a, it's, it's a matter of, I think it's important to build empathy across, understand that the humanity of the situation where the team came from, um, there's, you know, there's struggles. Um, and maybe I'm too, you know, maybe it's, I'm too apparent or maybe it's my generation. I don't know, but you know, I don't often hide my own, my own struggles, right? Because, you know, it's a, to me, it's a shared experience. Leadership is a shared experience with those you lead. Um, and we lead by permission. So, I think so to build credit. Um, I think as far as building credibility, it was 
the biggest thing is just being transparent and and say and very clear that hey look guys just expect I'm gonna you know just expect me to screw up you know key to happiness <laughs> or low expectations right um, no I'm just <laughs> so. Especially or, in the healthcare environment, well, right? <laughs> well, a, well, let's put it this way. Well, I guess better better stated is reasonable expectations for the resources and the and the and the circumstances you're in. Sure. Yeah. Right. Um, because you know we you know we we hope for the best, um, expect the worst, and prepare for the worst, or hope for the best, pre- prepare for the worst. I guess is that is what we want to say. And, um, and so, uh, no, it, it's, I think as a team, we've come a long way. Um, I'd like to think we've come a long way. Uh, we are, there seems to be a lot of within the hospital, a lot of, there does seem to be a lot of, um, faith from our administration, from my administration in the work that in the work that we do and the path that we take, um, and the decisions we make, uh, and they're incredibly supportive. The other, um, but just like I'm o- completely open with my with the engineers and my team, um, it also goes the other way. I'm completely open with my leadership. If there's a problem, I make no bones about it. Um, here's the problem. Um, here yeah. are our options. Uh, you know. Uh, Here's what, here's my recommendation. What are your thoughts? Right. Yeah. Yep. And again, a one, a a one team effort. You would, um, when we were speaking a couple of months ago, and I think this kind of goes along, this question goes along with what you're just talking about. You said relationships are built over food. Now I agree with that. I love food, but (laughs) tell me a bit more about that. Is there a, you know, a challenging work relationship that you can recall that was improved over food, not to minimize, but I agree with you. Food is a yeah. great bridge builder. Is, is there a specific example you can think of where you used food to advance a positive cause? Well, so many examples. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I got to work for you. <laughs> again, again, human, human, ex- again, human experience, um, the best yeah. relationships. And that didn't come. And that's not, and that's, that doesn't come from me. I think that I forget. I think I, you know, I've seen that on talked through a Ted talks and whatnot. I, I do remember one, one situation, one, one struggle because we, um, that the team had early when I first, early on when I, I arrived was the uh, project delivery and construction team because they just finished or they're just finishing up transition to a move, built a, um, built a new hospital. Um, and it's, and that hospital has its opportunities. Um, that building ha- definitely has its opportunities as all of them do kind of like, you know, anything, anything new, you have to take, a, you have to take some time to work the bugs out. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause uh, the best laid plans. Uh, yeah, I mean, a new building doesn't mean no problems. <laughs> that's right. The best laid best laid plans uh, uh, don't necessarily mean that you. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so there was the relationship would be I would describe as contentious. Um, Probably, you know, there was a lack of trust, and one thing that I I figured we would have to do uh, because construction at a larger campus is never ending. Right. Mm, Right. Um, There's always some sort of construction. Everything changes. Codes change, you know, requirements change, um, service lines change. So there's always something going on and you have to, and to, to succeed, I I believe you have to really have a, 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 a high level of integration and a great relationship between your operations team and your project delivery and construction teams. Um, Agreed. you can't do one without the other. Um, yep. and, uh, it can't succeed without the other. I mean, you can build without the operations team. Um, but you know, it may not come out with the best results and <laughs> you can try to operate without working with your construction team. But again, Probably not with the best results. Yeah. So, um, so started by uh, inviting our project managers to our um, 
uh, plan ops, um, potlucks pre COVID, of course. Um, <laughs> we yeah. haven't had a potluck in a long time since the pandemic started, unfortunately. And I think that's time. something we've lost. Um, yeah. we, we really miss and would look forward to getting back to someday. But, um, but that's where we started, um, building the, you know, again, making it less of, Hey, this is, you know, the construction or master plan or whatever you want to call them, um, name, uh, and I, and the, I don't think this is unique to Sutter Medical Center. I think this is, uh, from folks I've talked to across the industry, pr- relatively normal. Um, but it's, uh, but taking it from, okay, this other department to a human being with a face, right? Yeah. Yep. And, um, it's kind of like driving, right? You know, I, I tell people all the time, I think it's anonymity because is a problem because, you know, the night, you know, you walk into a coffee shop and you have, and the folks working at that coffee shop are probably the nicest people in the world. Right. And that's probably, we look in the mirror at, at ourselves and a lot of this too. But once you get on the freeway, something changes, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, <laughs> it's, it's funny you say that. So, I was, uh, my second, uh, my second oldest child, he's going to be a senior this year. So I took yesterday, which was Monday and we were up in Vermont looking at colleges. And so I was, um, you know, I was merging onto 90 onto route 89 and there's a merge and it's a climbing lane. And so I'm climbing and a lady's trying to get over, but rather than either speed up, slow down, cause I'm speeding up cause I want to get ahead of her. Cause I know she's coming over. She speeds up and flips me the bird. And I said to my son, you know, I don't get mad. at That doesn't make me mad. I said to him, you know, how does a person get that angry that quickly by something that's, it's a driving move? You know, what is that flipping? It's funny you said that. Yeah. I said that. I said that to him, Tom. I said, you know, I would love to meet her just a bit later to ask her, why'd you do that? Because it just, I didn't get angered by it. It's just kind of more mm-hmm. shaking your head that you yeah. would react. By flipping the bird to a per- and I know a lot of and listen, I'm not perfect. I get angered like all of us do. But like in that instance, I was I was just shaking my head and I've seen it happen before. But I'm like, I don't understand. She looked to be a middle I mean, she's you know, she wasn't a kid. She wasn't no, she's probably middle aged, you know, <laughs> somebody who should know better. And it just floors me how people automatically react that and you're right. You put a face and you create mm-hmm. a relationship. That's probably not going to happen. And if it happens, it's overcomable because you have a relationship. Correct. Right. Um, it's kind of like the internet, right? It's like social media. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, if, if you start out, you know, if it's, if you start out, even if you're not friends, if you start off with uh, realizing that, that, you know, if you, with a, with a human face, right. Yep. Um, yep. It makes, and with that relationship, it, it makes you less likely um, to, uh, I mean, it's, it's kind of, it kind of happened the other day, actually to me. I mean, I, um, you know, I, somehow I end up being the pace car in one of my parking garages. Okay. Um, <laughs> I have, I have a five, there's a five mile speed limit. I have five mile per hour speed limit and we have, it's an eight story parking garage and, and everybody, and so many people just think it's a, it's a racetrack. Right. It's a, it's a total fat, it's all total fast and furious. And, and, you know, I have to be the pace car because I put the signs up. Right. (laughs) And so, (laughs) and we have a lot of people walking and it's a safety thing. And, um, and, you know, like, well, we need speed bumps. Like, well, you put speed bumps and then people trip over them. And then, and then that's a whole different kind of injury report. And so uh, I found that speed bumps are never the solution. It turns out, um, because more people will trip over them than, than slow down. Um, cause otherwise they're just a ramp. So, <laughs> and, and, um, and I, re- and I was backing into a space cause, um, you know, I combat park, um, especially in a parking garage and, mm-hmm. uh, and, yeah. Yeah. and so they, so this they, person just kind of spins around me and I, and I honk you know, just let them know that, Hey dude, slow down. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like, at least give me a chance to back into my space before you take off my yeah. bumper. Right. That's what I'm thinking yeah. later on. It's like, I, so I mentioned a safety huddle, you know, we get, we have this morning safety huddle. Yes. Please remind your teams to slow down. 
Later on, I get a call from one of my friends. He says, dude, sorry, that was me. I thought you were just saying hi when you honked. <laughs> really? <laughs> and we all know each other's, and they, and they know my yeah. car. I park in the yeah. same place every time. Maybe I shouldn't. I don't know. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so I'm like, dude, no, it's okay. I wasn't mad. I was just like, dude, slow down. Yeah. And he was like, and, 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 inter- and, and he interpreted it as, dude, hi, good morning. <laughs> <laughs> and That's so, really interesting. And so maybe some of it's lost in translation. So maybe when she was flipping you the bird, she was wish- saying, hey, I hope you have a great day. And you just misunderstood it. Uh, maybe that's what it was. It was um, it's interpretive community, right? Um <laughs> Well, you know, it, she wasn't looking at me though, but the middle finger was prominent. So I figured it was like she wasn't looking at me in front, so the fact she wasn't looking. Maybe she, at me, yeah, I, maybe. I'll buy your story. Maybe she lost the other three fingers in an accident. I don't know. Maybe, um, maybe that was it. Maybe that was it. You uh, call it. You call so, it a pace car in the parking lot. I call it a rolling roadblock. We live off a country road, and yeah. people, and the speed limit is twenty. And people will people will go forty and fifty. And that's a road that my kids ride their bikes on. And yeah. if somebody comes up here, I go right down to 20. And and I, I, in fact, will stay on that road past my street just to keep them, because I know it takes them off. But yeah. I'm not, you, you can't go 50 on a country road. You know, there are people running, walking. I, I don't care. Yeah. yeah. No, we're I, not a parking no, or driving yeah. podcast, but I think we're similar in that regard. Yeah. Certainly. Oh, well, I asked, yeah, I asked my boss. I said, you know, I may have to just start parking in the basement. Matt, you know, I... <laughs> it, if they get fr- people get frustrated enough at me, they may request that I get a that I get a um, labeled spot, uh, a reserve <laughs> spot, just to get me out of the way. Uh, <laughs> You're gonna come out someday. Your tires will be flashed. You drove too slow. <laughs> yeah, that's that's right. Um, maybe, maybe, but you know, hopefully it's not, um, that's enough. You know, that's something that I. It's um, yeah. It's another part of my job, parking. Uh, oh, my goodness. Uh, I'll take air balance issues over parking any day of the week. Uh, <laughs> yes. Parking is an issue, I think, at every hospital in the country. Never easy. Yeah. Let me ask Tom. Well, we yeah. are, uh, yes. We're, uh, let me just, I, I want to get to one other question, but I also sure. want to finish up because I kind of took you off pace here, um, speaking about the pace car. It, I assume, though, that relationship between ops and planning, design, construction relative to the hospital. Did you use food to help create that um, create that relationship? Yeah. Well, what I started doing was it was it started with food. It, it was basically treating, even though they were a completely different department, uh, technically a different team, um, rolling them in and treating them as one team. Mm. You know, because um, planning, design, and construction is a it's a different that's a system level department, and so they don't have on site directors or things like that. Or um, so so to but to incorporate them and say, okay, look, we're all part of the same team. Make them, you know, help them to feel like part of that cohesive unit, right? Especially when you're with a big organization like Sutter Health. I mean, we're um, we're good we're a good size organization. And so it really was, um, and that was the start, you know, putting faces to the names, putting a face to the department for, um, to help the engineers build that relationship so that they felt more open and free to discuss with them, say, Hey, you know, found this, got this uh, concern about the, um, about the, uh, the graphics on the new BAS, right. You know, where they could feel like they can yeah. bring those things up freely um, and not feel like they're just getting pushed away. Right. So that it becomes a converse. So those things become a conversation rather than just a back and forth stand- group of demands. Right. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So from food, let's move uh, to education and just, for those of you listening, I am talking to Thomas Elliott. Tom is the Director of Facilities Management at Sutter, Sutter, Sutter Medical Center in Sacramento, California. 1.5 million square feet of space, 523 licensed beds. I know that um, Tom and I have talked in the past, and I know relative to the education um, topic that we've spoken about a couple of times on high reliability and in, in some of the articles we've um, we've written. Tom, obviously, has got an interesting background because you were, you know, you were in school and then life intruded. So you 
took a little bit of break before you went back, got your master's, uh, got your bachelor's, your master's. Now you're your MHA. I know you love to learn. You've told me that before. Um, so for you, learning is fun. But you've also mentioned that the FM landscape is changing and we all see that. Um, and, you know, you, that it's important to be able to communicate up and down the organization 360 degrees. You touched on a lot of that during this conversation. But tell me, Tom, w- what are your thoughts on the necessity of a degree um, at the director level for, for healthcare facility management? Because your perspective is certainly an interesting one and, and you, you've got a great background to speak to this particular topic. Well, I, th- I think that I think it is important, um, you know, and I saw that when before I left the Air Force, which is why I went back, went for the M, uh, MBA, because I didn't have the ex- necessarily the experience behind me um, to get my foot in the door. Right. So part mm-hmm. of that was uh, when I was first looking to transition, I had um, years before I got out, uh, when I first started in facilities, I looked at all the job postings over, um, that were out there and for every level and said, okay, what, what are the education requirements? What are the certification requirements? What are the um, experience requirements for each level? And, um, and, I, and I laid all those out in a Gantt chart um, mm-hmm. because that's kind of the guy, kind of guy I am. Uh, so, I laid all my, so I laid out my career path in a, in a Gantt chart. And when I, uh, so I think it, for me, it was important. I don't know that I would have even been looked at for the position I'm in now um, without that degree. Cause that kind of, that kind of balanced out that, that shortage of experience. Right. Um, I agree with you in your situation. Yeah. I, I yeah. think you're exactly right. And so, so yeah, I think that, so depending on this, depending on your situation, I think that's, it's, there's some reasons to, it's important, but the other, I think part of it too, you met, you mentioned, you know, it's about communication. You mentioned um, communicating up and down. I it, the, the chain, you know, I, I think an, a really important part of aspect of a facility director's job and role is to translate engineering speak into CFO speak and CEO speak. Right. <laughs> Um, I think because it's a, it is a completely different language. Uh, you know, I've lived in several other countries and now I've always lived on base for the most part. Um, and, but if you plan to live in another country, um, where English isn't the language, if you, if you intend to eat, um, (laughs) buy food, um, survive, you have to learn the language. Right. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. you would, um, and usually that's by him and the best way is by immersion. And so what, I really like, you know, to me, and I, I hadn't really thought of this before, but, you know, I, I think this is a benefit of working through your degree while you're working in healthcare, working in the situation, because it's like, it's like an immersive language learning experience. Um, under, you know, when, when you're, when your staffing depends on um, adjusted patient days, right? What exactly does that mean? Right. Um Coming up as an engine, uh, coming up as an engineer, or for me as a biomed, I had no idea what that meant. Uh, so, and really, that's you know, in my my MBA, that helped me understand the finance, um, the basic finance, the business of business side of the house, and some of the leadership side of the house. But, um, but that's why I went back for my. But the reason I, I decided to pursue the MHA as well is because, you know, I found that though I'm learning, I learn a lot just by being in the situation and being in healthcare and having conversations with, um, with senior leadership, you know, I think there's, there are some language barriers per se in that. And Mm -hmm. so by going back for my MHA, what is it's the, and I specific, I specifically looked for an MHA program that was all, that was all healthcare related. Um, cause some you go in and it's, it's basically an MHA or MBA with a few MHA classes. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I specifically t- looked for one that had, w- that was all health, 100% healthcare specific, uh, because that's what I was looking for. Um, and so, um, and I think there's, there's other ways to do that. I think, uh, you don't necessarily have to, to get a degree. Uh, there are, 
Um, I think I was looking at Cornell University has um, eCornell has certification programs that for healthcare facilities as well that go through and talk about that. And they, they run through that finance piece and the healthcare side of the house to kind of put, to kind of complete the picture for um, those who are in, um, in engineering or vice versa, kind of teach, you know, um, maybe administrators more about the facility side. Uh, so there are mm-hmm. a lot of opportunities. There are, I think there are a lot of um, educational opportunities out there. It doesn't have to necessarily be a degree. Um, a lot of, especially if you financially, if that's a struggle, you know, uh, or you just don't want to devote every time I'm like, how much longer do I have in this? Uh, <laughs> at the end of every semester, I'm like, do I really want to do this anymore? As I'm like, I would so much rather be playing Call of Duty um, than doing this homework. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, be, then you overlay. just to be clear and honest. <laughs> yeah, you overlay four so, kids and a wife and a full time job. That's a so, big commitment. So I think. So you know, I can't. You know, you could probably speak to more speak. I know you could, Pete, you can speak a lot more to what employers are looking for in education, but from a practicals perspective, I would say that I, I think there are a lot of, there are a lot of different ways to do it. Um, I hope, you know, I'm hoping that in the future there are more, um, you know, educational programs available that teach the healthcare finance and the healthcare side reimbursements, you know, how cap. Um, how, you know, capital expenditures, um, um, are affected, um, through you know, um, through by reimbursements and what that mean and what, what the tax code means and how that differs between a profit and not for profit. Uh, cause I think all of that, when you're communicating whether or not you, um, you want to capitalize something or you, you're asking t- for leadership to invest capital in something to understand those pieces, um, you know, or even how you're, what I didn't, for instance, one thing that I did not know until I um, was taking a healthcare finance was the effect that, um, that a organization's average pay empl- em- you know, employee compensation, how that affects reimbursement. CMS reimbursement. So yeah, that's an interesting one. Yeah. I, I wasn't aware of that. And they're like, yeah. Oh yeah. It, you know, and it's like, yep. you know, cause you, you have your, um, so, you know, so all of that, it, it's interconnected. And so, so many times we're coming up, um, out of the engineering world. It's like, we have no, I, we have no idea. So to us, it's just, it can be frustrating. It's like, well, don't they see, why don't they see the importance of this thing? Um, this new air handler or this, it's like, and I would argue that it's not that they don't necessarily see the importance of it. It's just how important is that versus everything else they have to look at. So in a 30 second soundbite, how does employee pay influence compensation, impact compensation? So, and I'm, and as I said, I took a class, so I'm no expert. <laughs> I am no expert <laughs> in this. But my, but my understanding <laughs> from, first sem- from first semester finance um, okay. was that there's, um, that CMS basically takes the overall wage, the average wages for a region, not just an organization, but a region. Uh, and, that, and that wage ranking can uh, affect or... I forget what it's called specifically. As I said, I don't have, this is not my day-to-day life, but it was interesting. No, no, I, it no. sticks out in my mind that so that, um, so what's interesting is that um, that can, and it struck me that, you know, that when you're, when you have leadership talking about whether or not to insource or outsource a function, if it's a lower wage function, that those lower wages within the hospital can affect reimbursement. So that could be another deciding decision factor, right? Yeah. In, in yep. Yep. whether or not you're um, out, whether or not to outsource a particular function within, uh, within hospitals. Right. Um, so, uh, and I guess, again, you know, that's somebody, you know, a CFO can may listen to this and say, no, Tom, you're all wrong. Um, but that's what I, that's what I, that's how I took it. Um, sure. <laughs> from, but, I um, but that's, yeah. 
your overall though your overall point like take it out of the specific is a good one that the education mm-hmm. kind of engaged that and bring brought that issue to your mind whereas previously like me i you wouldn't have you wouldn't have made that connection but now you've right you know that's there and you can certainly know where to go if you need to learn more but you know that there's an impact there right well my chief you know you've yeah. learned something yeah my chief nursing ex- executive was sitting down um i was chatting with her the other day on a, f- a few issues and she um we we're talking about this a little bit and i and i was talking to her about our our community health community health needs assessment right and prior to the prior to the uh, and I didn't, you know, honestly, I didn't realize that C- the CHNA really, I didn't know what that was. I never heard of it. One of the, one of the, one of my courses required me to read our organization CHNA and then, and talk about it and talk about our strategy for that. And, um, and that was enlightening, right. And which through the education, it, it direct, it's kind of pointing me at all of these different things that go into, running a healthcare organization that I would have never thought of on my own. Yep. Yeah. Takes you out of, uh, takes you out of your area and exposure. Mm-hmm. Well, Tom Elliott, Thomas Elliott from Sutter Regional Medical Center. Tom, that was, uh, that was a good discussion. I appreciate your time. I thank you for listening to high reliability or for being on high reliability. It was my pleasure. Thank you all for listening. This is Peter Martin from Gosselin Martin Associates signing off from this episode of High Reliability, and we will talk to you soon. Thank you and have a great day.